Every now and then I'll hear people say, why do you need God to be over today? He's already over it. He's already greater than. He's already more than a conqueror in anything that you need. My question to you today is, where do you need to recognize His authority? Take your Bibles. Let's find Colossians chapter 1. We're in this series that uh, will last for probably six or seven weeks anyway. I find the text today, chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, to be one of two of my favorite chapters that we find in all the text about the person and the work of Christ. One of my favorites comes out of Philippians chapter 2 that talks about Christ as servant. But this passage talks about Christ as king, who's above all and Lord of all. Will you follow along with me? Beginning in verse 15. He, the he here is Christ. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him, in heaven and on the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether it's thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Now He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether it be things on the earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now once you were, an al you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed evil in your evil actions. But now He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before Him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in your faith and are not shifted away from this hope of the gospel that you've heard. Paul concludes by saying this gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Father, would you bless both the reading, the preaching, the presentation of your word. And Spirit of God, today, would you be our teacher and our guide. In Jesus' name, amen. C.H. Spurgeon, who looked at this passage of Scripture, at this particular text, he says this, the theme which exalts the Savior is the most precious theme of all the saints. Let me say it again. Any theme or the theme that exalts our Savior, Jesus Christ, is to be the most precious theme that any of us would ever have. Here's our concern. It tends to become familiar. And oftentimes we can become complacent when we talk about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. When we talk about His glory and His majesty, when's the last time you and I have just kind of been stopped in our tracks 
to realize who it is we worship, whose name we bear, and the privilege we have of being with him. I do not believe there's a more majestic description in all of Scripture of Christ than what you just heard out of Colossians 1, 15 through 23. You found in this text, he reigns over creation. You find that he's the authority of the church. You find his sacrificial death took place on the cross. And it's all articulated so beautifully. First part, verses 15 down through 20, is this wonderful poem that's been written with great stanzas and interaction. But what you find in this text more than anything else is the Christology, the study of Christ, clearly stated and put on display for us. That you and I get to gaze upon the beauty and the wonder of who He is. Scripture tells us that if, if we don't praise Him, the rocks and hills will cry out. Have you heard that verse? Hey, church, how about this? Why don't we tell the rocks and the hills just to be quiet this morning? We got this. Can we do that? Can we just worship Him this morning? Can we say to the Father in heaven, we take up arm today to be your worshipers? We don't want to steal His glory. We don't want to betray His glory. We don't want to hide His glory. We want to honor it. And here in this passage, we get to draw in where Paul is teaching this little church at Colossae to focus on God's redemptive work. And then they get to participate in it because of who Christ is. Everything we've seen in the first 14 verses of Colossians is talking about the will of the Father. And now we step into where he's talking about the work of the Son. Do you see that? If you mark in your Bibles, verses 1 through 14, the will of the Father, God is dictating what His goal, what His plan, what His methods will be. But now we step into the work of the Son. And you and I as I, uh, get to identify as God's children. And then we are equipped with His ability to accomplish His work. I read from someone this week, and I wish I could quote who it was, but I, I failed to remember. But the author simply said that when Jesus consumes our focus, everything else comes into proper focus. When Jesus consumes our focus, everything else has proper focus. They used to tease me in Danville that they were going to have T-shirts made. For years I've made this statement. When you get Jesus right, you get everything else right. Do you have Jesus right this morning? And how will you know if you have him right? Well, I'll tell you one way is when you have him high and lifted up. When he's not just common, when he's not just familiar, but when he is the exalted one with the name above every name, the one to which we worship and the one to which we get to serve. I have on your handout a simple statement that says Jesus is supreme. You agree with that? Talk to me. Are we an amening church? Well, we're going to get there, aren't we? We're going to work on that. How many of you agree with me today? Jesus is supreme. Amen. 
Well, that's not bad. And he's fully sufficient. Exactly. But what's he sufficient to do? This is what I love. To take someone like me, who is so far away from him with no hope and no way of coming into his presence and saying, come. Did you hear it? It's all, it's all it takes. To lean in and hear the Father whisper to you, come on. And you go, how? How do I do that? I've gone so far. I'm like Paul, the chiefest of sinners. How do I ever get back? And Jesus goes, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. Come follow me. Do you know him today? I hope you do. And I hope at the end of our time together this morning, you know him a little better and you worship him a little more. So let me give you a couple of what we would call Christological truths. Truths about who Christ is, is all I'm really trying to say there. Here's the first one. If you want to write this down on your handout, Jesus is sovereign. He's sovereign. Now, we often get this right that God is sovereign, isn't he? That God knows all, that he is everywhere, that God is supreme, that nothing takes place in this earth and in this world without God's permission and without God's will. But I want you to look back at verses 15 through 17 with me. He, Christ, is the image. Circle the little word E. He is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. Let's stop right there and unpack this image of invisible God and firstborn, okay? Because I think we get, we get this confused just a little bit. To be the image of the invisible God is to distinguish Christ as the exact representation of God. Now, I understand that we have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the three in one, each having a separate role, but each being one and united. So when you worship the Father, you worship the Son, and when you worship the Spirit, you worship the Father and the Son. And all three are at work congruently and systematically. But what we find in this text is it simply says, is Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is what we call the, the incarnation, where Christ came and dwelled among us. He tabernacled with us. He took on humanity. Aren't you glad that, that we, we have Jesus, God, creator of all things, and you have Jesus with skin on? who is tempted in every way that we're tempted, that walked where we walk, that struggled the way we struggled. And He is the exact image, not a image. It is the image. That's how that little word, the, is so important. He is the image of the invisible God. I found this interesting. If Jesus were just a replica of God, Stick with me. If he were just a replica of who God is, then he would break the commandment of Exodus 20, verses 4 through 6. And thou shalt have no other image. 
Have you thought about that before? If Christ is not God and just a replica of God, then we wouldn't be worshiping true God. He is the image of visible God. He's God incarnate. He's not other than. He's exactly like. And He is the revelation of God. He's the embodiment of God's nature. And He's everything that you and I need. And no matter of fact, flip over with me back to uh, Philippians. Just a page or two. Turn to the left, okay? And you'll bump into it. Philippians 2, verses 5 and 6. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. And here's the verse. Who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. When you have Jesus, you have the Father. When you have the Father, you have the Son. And our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is sovereign because He's the visible image of Almighty God. The other thing is, He is the firstborn of creation. Now let me pause right here. Paul brings this out in the text because there's a heresy going around in the Colossae church that Jesus was a created being. Matter of fact, that same heresy is taught in some false religions in our world today. Matter of fact, you'll have some of these folks show up at your doorstep sometime. And they will tell you that Jesus is a created being. Jesus is not created being. You go, well, pastor, it says right here that he is the firstborn over all creation. Understand, it does not say he is the firstborn of creation. He is the firstborn over creation. Do you see why words are important here? When you study out verses 15 through 20, you'll find eight times the word all and each and everything is used. When you look at verse 16, it says, For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rules and authority, all things have been created through Him and for Him. Firstborn over creation does not mean He's the firstborn of creation. It means He sits in the first place above all creation. All creation bows at His authority. And all creation worships at His dominion. He wasn't created. Because Scripture says in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Do you believe that this morning? Do you believe Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, who? God created heaven and earth. Guess who that is? That's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All right there in our chat, in our text. Jesus was not a part of creation. Everything, hear me, everything was created by Him and for Him and through Him. Now pause. We being created beings were created by Him. Genesis 1.27, right? Let us make man in our own image. We're created by Him. We're created for Him. Meaning that you and I are not to just live on our own, but we are to live lives fully surrendered to Him. 
for his glory, for his purpose. Go back to, go back. Philippians 2. When you read verses 9, 10, and 11, it says, For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name. Why? I'm so glad you asked. Verse 10, so that, circle it, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of who? God, the Father. Do you worship Him today? And here's the harsh truth. If you don't worship Him today, one day you will. One day you will. All of creation who draw near and push far away from Him, all of creation one day will recognize the name that is above every name is Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, the visible reality of the invisible. And they'll bow their knee. And as I've said before, they'll be as, I, as Isaiah of old out of chapter 6, right? Woe is me. Folks, today he's sovereign. He created it all. He's over all. And all things have been created for him. Does that make sense? Number two, Jesus is supreme. He's not only sovereign, he's over everything, but he is supreme. And he's not only supreme over physical creation, but over spiritual creation. Let me show you this out of verses 18 and 19. He, that's Christ again, he is also head of the body. That's the church, that's you and I. So Christ is in first position of our church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead. Why? So that, there it is again, this transition, that he might come to have first place in everything. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. What an amazing verse. Christ, the head of the church. Now this is somewhat of a metaphor. Christ being the head of the body. You realize the mess you're in this morning if you came to church without a head? You're a hot mess, I'm telling you. Nor would you travel far. But God has called His church His body. You and I are the body of Christ. Can I, can I just pause here and do a quick commercial? I'm going to anyway, so just sit tight. The beauty of us being the body of Christ is all things working together perfectly, right? Now, I don't mean to highlight this, but I don't know if you all noticed or not, I got rid of my cast. I feel like he has set captives free, I can tell you that. But here's the issue. This little finger hurts. And when the little finger hurts, it makes the rest of my body hurt. And here's the other problem with this little finger. It's not fully functioning. It's repaired, but it's not fully functioning. I have to drink tea like an, like an Englishman. 
I don't drink tea, so it's not a big problem. But listen, when this part of my body isn't functioning properly, when it was immobilized and isolated, it impacted the rest of my body. And when you are not functioning properly within the body of Christ, when you are isolated and you are removed, it impacts the rest of the body. And you and I were never designed to be islands, little worshipers on our own, doing our own thing. We were designed to connect, to bring the body together, to function in perfect harmony and union so that we have the most efficient work of the body of Christ in Bridgeport that could ever be demonstrated. That is why Connect Sunday is going to be such an important day for every one of us, that we connect the body together and we don't leave even a part of the body isolated and not fully functioning. Does that make sense to you this morning? It's so important. You go, well, that's just not my thing. I'm going to press you. If you go, that's just not my deal. Let me press you on this. Do you know Christ as your Savior? then He's the head, and He's brought you into the body. And as the body, you have the responsibility to function according to the head's wishes and desires. We need you to be a part of the body. And Christ is the head of that church. He's the beginning, it says, and He's the firstborn from the dead. And you go, now wait a minute, time out. This says He's the firstborn from the dead. Does that sound like He's the first person to be raised from the dead? Well, you go back in Scripture, we know that's not true, isn't it? Elijah raised some people. Jesus raised Lazarus. Others have been risen from the dead. This doesn't mean that Jesus is the first person to ever rise from the dead. It means He's the most important person that's ever risen from the dead. And here's the other thing. He's the one that has risen from the dead to never die again. Everyone else that had been resurrected went back to the grave. Jesus suffered and died on a cross and on the third day rose again and 40 days later ascended back to the Father where He sat down at the right hand of God and said, it is all accomplished. I did everything that you've asked me to do. And one day He will return for you and I, ruling and reigning forever. Jesus died once, and when He rose again, never to die again. He's not only firstborn among, but He is the most important to have ever been raised. And it says, so that. And I really want you to pay attention to those two little words. Why would He be the head of the church? And why would He be the firstborn among creation? So that He, Christ, do you see that? So that Christ might come to have first place in everything. Which is also translated in everyone. I tend to remind the Lord often that I'm only a C student. That I struggle a lot. My rhythm is often three steps forward and two steps back. But I want to recognize who's in control. 
And I want to recognize His preeminence so that He, He is in first place of everything in my life. Of everything in my life. And do you see what it says in verse 19? For God, now we're back to the Father, for God was pleased to have all of God's fullness dwell in Christ. That's how that verse reads. God was pleased to have all of the fullness, the sovereignty of God, to dwell in the Son, Christ. My third point for you today. Jesus is sufficient to save. He's sovereign and He's supreme, but He's also sufficient. I love these three verses. And through Him, circle through Him. What did He do through Him? Reconciles everything to Himself. Now notice where that everything is. It's whether there are things in the earth or things in heaven. But how does He reconcile everything back to Him? Back to the text. By making peace through His blood that Christ shed on the cross. Let's stop right there for a moment and try to unpack this just a little bit. Jesus not only reveals the fullness of the Father, but He reveals the purpose of the Father to us, that all men would come to Him, not willing that any should be lost. Therefore, He makes peace where we were alienated from God, where we were distant from God, where there was conflict with God the Father, the Son makes peace, brings us back together. So now all creation can be in unity with the Father. Now I want you to notice this. Maybe this is good to underline a couple words. Look at where we were before reconciliation. It says you were once alienated and hostile in your minds. So you were distant from God, and actually, the text would tell us that we actually thought hostile towards the Father. We were not just disobedient, we were willfully disobedient to the Father. And it goes on to say, and you expressed evil actions. This is who we were before Christ. Alienated, hostile, and evil. Now, isn't that the way to win friends and influence people? Take that to Walmart and Lowe's today and just walk up and down the aisles and go, you know, you're, you're alienated, you're hostile, and you're just evil. But that's who we are before Christ. Sin breaks things, folks. Sin presents us in, an e in, a, in a dark way, in a separate way from God. But did you see what happens here? What's the first two words of verse 22? But now. That'll preach. But now, He, Christ, has reconciled you, me, by His physical body through His death to present us how? Holy, faultless, and blameless before Him. How good is that, church? I once was alienated hostile and evil. And because of the work of Jesus Christ, I'm now considered holy, faultless, and blameless in Him. 
Now you know why he has the name that's above every name. Because only he can do that kind of work. Well, my dad used to say, you know what it means when a preacher takes off his watch? <laughs> Absolutely nothing. But I'm going to try to finish up here pretty quickly, all right? Here's my last one. Jesus is our security. Now notice he says an interesting phrase. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. It almost sounds like now it's up to you, right? Jesus does all the saving, but if indeed you stay faithful or if you maintain it, but that's not what he's saying here. You've already heard me say this a couple times since I've been here. If Jesus does all the saving, Jesus does all the keeping. The if here is not as if it all depends on us now. The if here refers to the theological and the practical applications of everything we've just studied. Because Jesus is, is sovereign and because He is supreme and because He is sufficient, He then becomes our security. If you believe these things about Jesus, listen to me, if you believe it, where it translates into your actions, then you will not waver in your faith. But if you only believe it casually, then you will easily be tossed to and fro. And then he goes, the gospel has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant to it. Can I ask you to, on your handout, scratch through the word Paul? And I, Todd. And I, Mike. I, Ron. Because of the greatness of the gospel, I'm a servant to it. We're changed by it. We're shaped by it. We're convicted by it. When we find ourselves on bended knee with open hands, Worshiping the only one who's worthy. You know what my fear is? For some of us, our Jesus is just too small. We're not sure that He can handle all that is pressed in on us this week. Anybody been pressed this week? Tempted this week? Discouraged this week? But we have this treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we are not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. And we are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry the death of Jesus in our body so that the life of Jesus may also be displayed in our body. Would you take it to the Father today?
Whatever you bring my way, may it be used to give you glory as I worship you and you only. Now, the only way to worshiping is to knowing. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you can do it today. This morning, I walked through every one of these rows. I put my hands on every one of these chairs. And I pray that wherever someone may be sitting today, if they don't know Christ, that the Spirit would draw them to Him. We prayed it at our 9 o'clock prayer time, that God would save people in this room today. I believe He can do it, don't you? Because He saved me. So if you don't know Him as Savior today, would you just right now, you don't even have to bow your head and close your eyes. You can go, well, that's not what I was taught. You do not have to bow your head and close your eyes. All you have to do is pray to the Father, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus says, when you draw close to me, I draw close to you. And He saves us. And those of us that have known the Lord for a long time and we're walking away, away, and we're not worshiping with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength, can I just invite you to come back to the Father today? Do this. Do this. Put your hands out this way. And Father in heaven, may you find this to be our prayer and our position. That to whatever you would call us to do and who you have called us to be, our answer to you today, Father, is yes. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.